Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Before we turn there, just a thing to, to mention to you. Uh, we have many great ministries here at Redeeming Grace. We're privileged uh, to have so many faithful servants serve this church in so many different ways. It's oftentimes humbling to see how you serve this body and how you are faithful and diligent to serve this body, and we're thankful for you. Uh, one of the ministries that we uh, have that continues to grow is our children's ministry. And right now in our children's ministry, we have several immediate needs for volunteers, for servants in this ministry. We have one need for the security desk to check in uh, kids uh, during the equip hour or worship hour, uh, and that is a once-a-month rotation. If you can serve in that ministry, uh, you don't need the spiritual gift of security desk. You just need to be someone who's willing to serve this church family. And uh, we need your help in that. And so uh, one person for the security desk during the equip hour. And we need three volunteers to serve in our nursery during the worship hour. And that is once every six weeks. Once every six weeks. Uh, we have a growing nursery. We have a growing need. And uh, we would love for you to join in serving in these ways. And listen, I'm not talking to you folks that are already doing 20 things. I'm talking to some of you thinking, how can I get involved in the church more? Well, here you go. Once a month or once every six weeks, just tiptoe in, okay? You'll be fine. And uh, we have these needs. We would love for you to help meet those needs. You could see Marsha Roten, our director of children's ministry, or you can talk to one of us, myself or Pastor Jeremy. We would love to get you connected and so you can serve in these ways. On that note, Colossians chapter 4. Our text this morning would be verses 2 through 4. You're thinking short sermon. I'm thinking not a chance. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, would you give us understanding of your word this morning, would you help us to be a praying people? Father, I confess to you that I pray so little. Father, would you help us be a people, a church, that are constant in prayer? Would you use this word not only to convict us this morning, but Lord, to encourage and stir our affections for you, that we may seek you, that we may lean upon you and depend upon you for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if we could have a printed transcript of your prayer life this past week, what would it reveal? What things did you pray for? When you pray, are you intentional? about the things you pray for, or do you just pray without much thought? When you pray, do you have a sense that God hears you? Are you confident that he will answer your prayers? You see, there was something truly remarkable about 
the ministry of the Apostle Paul that characterized all that he did. He was a man devoted to prayer. We know him as, his, uh, as he served faithfully on his missionary journeys, as he proclaimed the gospel. But behind all of that, Paul was a man that was faithful to pray, truly believing that the Lord would hear him and that the Lord would work. Preacher Robert Murray McChain once said, What an instrument is this which God hath put into our hands? Prayer moves him that moves the universe. Our text this morning, as we see there in verse 2, is obviously a text that is focused on a call to pray. A call to be steadfast, to be devoted in prayer. But it, even in that, it's, it's quite specific. Paul is urging prayer generally, but even hones in specifically as he's thinking about the gospel advancing, the kingdom expanding. You see, Paul was a man who had his sights firmly fixed upon the gospel and upon the kingdom of God. He understood that success in gospel mission was not something that he could manufacture or create himself. Paul understood that if there was going to be success in gospel ministry, it must be because God would move the hearts of men and women and children. Prayer was something foundational to Paul's ministry. He had a high view of God's sovereignty, knowing that God ordained all that would unfold. But yet he also knew that not only did God ordain the end, he also ordains the means to the end. It's clear that God's plan, when you read the scripture from beginning to end, you find this in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, it's clear that God's plan is that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language gathered before the throne. And listen, this will happen. 100% true that God will have a redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. It's been promised, it's been ordained, and it will happen with or without you. But one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that as though God ordains this end, he has also ordained the means through which that will be accomplished, namely the preaching of the gospel and the prayers of the church. Preaching of the gospel, the prayers of the church. Without these things, this will not happen, but it's not as if God is in limbo here and trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's ordained the end, but he's also ordained the means. And the call for us this morning is to join him in the means which he has ordained to see the gospel go forth. If we're going to see the gospel impact the world, we must not only be willing to preach the gospel, but we must be faithful to pray. So Paul shows us in this passage two features of gospel-centered praying that we, I think, would be, do well to imitate, and to be instructed by. And I want us just to see them up front, and then we're going to walk through them together. We're going to see the character of our prayers and the content of our prayers. Character and content. Let's begin, first of all, with the character of our prayer. You know, there are many ways that you and I can approach prayer. Uh, 
And here Paul gives us some instruction as to what our prayers ought to look like, what they ought to, to be characterized by. In fact, he gives us three things in particular. First of all, he says that prayer is something that should be conducted with perseverance. Prayer is something that should be conducted with perseverance. Notice he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, or some translations, be devoted in prayer. Paul wouldn't command something that he himself was not willing to do. He'd already modeled what persevering in prayer looked like. In fact, in, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we always thank God for you when we pray for you. Chapter 1, verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul was a man who persevered in his praying. He was a man who understood that, that, that prayer was absolutely vital to everything that he was about and everything that he did. He was not someone who prayed on occasion. It was something that he saw as central to his entire ministry, his entire being. And now he's urging the Colossian Christians to also be devoted to prayer, to continue steadfastly in it. You see this modeled in the early church through the book of Acts, Acts 1.14, Acts 2.42, and Acts 6, verse 4, you see the apostles devoting themselves, persevering in prayer. What does that mean? Well, it means that you pray often and you pray regularly. It's a good word for us to hear, I think, isn't it? It's a good word because we know how easy it is to forsake prayer. We know how easy it is to just move on to something else without seeking God, without expressing our dependence upon Him. It's often something we revert to when our plans don't seem to be working out. But Paul wants us to be reminded that it's not something we revert to when something's not working out, but something we go to first and foremost. And we persist in it, that we persevere in it. Listen, when we are not persevering in prayer, we are in essence demonstrating that we have no need for God. When we are not persevering in prayer, we are demonstrating that we have no need for God. Now there's a tension here, I confess. The Bible talks a lot about per persisting in prayer or persevering in prayer, but the Bible also talks about waiting. It calls us to wait upon the Lord. And yet we're exhorted here to persevere in prayer. And so there's this, this tension that we have as, as we're called to persist, to persevere in prayer, and yet we're called to wait upon the Lord. Persistence in prayer doesn't mean that we are not waiting. In prayer, we continue to express our need for God, our dependence upon Him, expressing our desires to Him as we wait for Him. I would try to say that again, but I don't know what it just said. It sounded good, though. We persist and we wait. Brothers and sisters, think about your own praying. Think about your praying this week. Is it persistent? Are you continuing steadfastly in your prayers? One thing is true, this is the reality. We will never persist in praying for something that we are not concerned about. 
whatever it is that you're praying for, are you persisting in it? Paul's encouraging this steadfast, this devotion to prayer. The backdrop of it all is the, the call to stay faithful to the gospel. Remember the false teachers, stay faithful to the gospel, to endure that, that onslaught of, of, of false teachers so that you can stay faithful to Christ and now that you would continue that ministry and that mission, are you persisting in praying for this reason and for these purposes? Friends, we've all been given the privilege to join the Lord in the work that he's doing in this world. We've been all, all of us have been given the privilege to, to, to join Christ in how he's working in this world to bring about transformation in the lives of people, in the lives of communities and cities and to the ends of the earth so that the kingdom of God is built. One of the ways that we've been called to join the Lord in this work is to pray. To pray. Prayer should be persistent. Second characteristic that we see is that prayer should be motivated by a sense of urgency. Notice he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. So persevere, continue steadfastly, be devoted in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful. We've seen the call to watchfulness show up in other places. In Ephesians chapter 6, immediately following the call to put on the armor of God. Paul says there, praying all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In Mark chapter 14, verse 38, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus and his disciples were there to pray, Jesus calls Peter and says, watch and pray, watch and pray that you may not be, that you may not enter into temptation. And now Paul is encouraging the church at Colossae to pray, to persevere in that prayer, but also to be watchful in praying. Watchful for what? The context of this letter has the backdrop of the future inheritance that we have in Christ. Paul began this letter with a clear reminder of what we have awaiting us. Back in chapter 1, we see this, this reminder of the inheritance that we've been given, that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a present reality with a future hope. The kingdom of God is not something just future. It is a present reality now that will find its fulfillment and fullness in the future. This is what we've been given. It's what we will have. And this is the backdrop to what he's calling us to pray, as he's calling us to persevere in prayer, to be watchful. This leads most scholars to to think that that the watchfulness Paul has in mind here is an anticipation for what awaits us. In other words, as you pray, pray being mindful, being watchful with your eyes fixed upon the blessed hope, the coming of our Lord Jesus. And implied in that is this sense of urgency. As you pray, as you persevere in prayer, do so, but do so watchfully, watching, anticipating the coming of our King. When you apply that to a sense of gospel mission and ministry, it reminds us that there is indeed a sense of urgency, doesn't it? That Jesus is coming again. And that there is no time to delay in in what we've been called to do and called to be. 
as God's people. We're called to pray, being watchful, being reminded that, that the King is coming. Super helpful. Because many times our prayers are not that. Many times our prayers are overwhelmingly self-centered. That's why I asked you earlier, when you prayed this week, if we could have a transcript, what did you pray for? As we're called to pray here, we're called to be watchful, to be mindful of our blessed hope, of our future inheritance, that the Lord is coming again. He's helping reorient our praying away from the kingdom of self towards the kingdom of God. And as we pray, our watchfulness reminds us that there's coming a day when there will be no more admitted to the kingdom. All will be done. Friend, is your prayer motivated by this heightened sense of urgency? Are you praying with that in mind? Not only should it be marked by perseverance or motivated by urgency, it should be expressed with thankfulness. Third characteristic. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Persevere, watchful, thankful. Our prayers ought to always be marked with a sense of gratitude. There, there are so many things which with, we can give and should give thanks for in particular, and there's so many things that we can be praying for. But friends, if your prayers are not regularly marked by a sense of gratitude and thankfulness, again, it's, just a, it's an easy way to find your prayers becoming radically self-centered. We should give thanks for two things in particular. Number one, God's promise, and number two, God's provision. He's talked about these things already. The promise of God, you see that back in chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 14. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness, transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He's provided for you. Verse 19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. He has promised you an inheritance because he has purchased for you this inheritance through his blood. Brothers and sisters, we should never get over the, the amazing reality that God has saved people like us. If you ever lose sight of the amazing grace and provision and mercy of God in Christ, friends, it's not a healthy place to be. Our prayers ought to regularly acknowledge the mercy of God in reconciling us and the reality of a promised inheritance awaiting us. Our future hope. Brothers and sisters, do you find yourself regularly thankful for the grace that God has extended to you in Christ? Today, have you been thankful that God in his mercy has spared you from judgment? And that in his grace, he has reached down and brought you to himself, set your feet upon a rock. He has clothed you in righteousness. He has covered your sin by his blood.
Or friends, have we grown to presume upon it? We should not go a single day in prayer without recounting the kind provision and promises of God in Christ. As we pray, we would continue steadfastly, that we would persevere, that we would be watchful, anticipating the coming king, and that we would be thankful for what this king has accomplished in us and for what he's done for the world. So that is the character of our prayers. I could say much more, but we'll move on to the content. Now there's a lot that we could say regarding content, things that should fill our prayers. There's great Things like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Many kinds of ways that you can organize your praying. And friends, I would just say this just as a practical pointer from experience and from the experience of countless Christians before me. That if you don't have some means of organized approach to prayer, you just kind of haphazardly pray on a regular basis, but you never really have a, an organized approach uh, to prayer, you're, you're likely not going to pray very much for a lot of things. The content of our prayer is important. And Paul here gives us some specific things to pray for. And these specific things that Paul encourages the saints to pray for is centered upon the advance of the gospel. And I'm thankful that he puts this in here because it's certainly not an exhaustive doctrine of prayer here where he highlights every single thing that we should pray for. He actually just says, here's what ought to characterize your praying, and now here let me give you some prayer requests, things that you ought to be praying for. And I'm thankful that he puts this in here because I'm afraid, I know based upon my own praying, I'm afraid that we often lose sight of these kinds of things when we pray. Before we move on to look at the particular request, I think it's important to be reminded of the circumstances Paul is in from which he writes. Look at verse 3. He says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is writing from prison. He's in prison because of his ministry in the gospel. So notice the circumstances. There, there's a lot of things that Paul could have said. He's, he's wrapping up Colossians. He's, he's coming to his close of the letter. He's in jail, and he could have written many things for them to be praying for. But look what he lists. He could have, he could have asked for release. You would pray for my release. He could have prayed for justice. He could have prayed for relief. He could have prayed for some kind of assistance or help or any of these kinds of things, but none of these things are at least mentioned here. I'm not saying he didn't request these things. They're not mentioned. They're not highlighted as a priority to him. Paul's greatest concern, even above his own comfort, was that the gospel would continue to advance. He was more concerned about the gospel going forward than he was himself being released from prison. And he did not see his imprisonment as a hindrance. He saw it as an opportunity. So he's praying. He's encouraging these saints to pray for him that there would be an opportunity for the word even in the midst of his circumstances. Friends, I would just think, just think about the content of your prayers again. Do they resemble this kind of mindset? Are you more concerned about the success of the gospel or your own personal comfort? Great question to ask, isn't it? Just 
What are my prayers? When I pray, am I more concerned about the things that I deal with on a daily basis, although those are very important, than I am about your kingdom and about the gospel going forward, about people's lives being eternally transformed? Look at the three things that Paul encourages. First of all, he prays or encourages prayer for gospel opportunity. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, what? That God may open to us a door for the word. This is common language regarding the mission of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 16, 8, and 9. Explaining his present situation, Paul says there, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, he speaks of a door being opened to him at Troas to preach the gospel there. So this language of open door opportunity for the advance of the gospel was language that Paul would commonly use to express opportunity for evangelism. And notice here that Paul's theology drives his practice. His theology drives his practice in praying and in proclaiming. Paul understood something very important. He understood that God in his sovereignty is the one ultimately responsible for gospel success. Let me say that again. God in his sovereignty is the one ultimately responsible for gospel success. And yet he understood that the word still had to go forward because God not only has ordained the end, he has ordained the means to that end. The the means to the end is that people hear the gospel and they put their hope in Christ. No one will be saved without it. There are many things there are many things that we can do pragmatically to engage people. And I'm not afraid of being pragmatic. I'm not afraid of thinking practically. I'm not afraid of thinking strategically but listen unless the word is going forward no matter how creative we are or winsome we are we will not see the gospel succeed unless we pray that God move see I'm afraid that what too many ministries and churches are trying to do in order to advance the gospel today is not a prayerful dependence upon the Holy Spirit to open the doors of opportunity but rather they are more excited and dependent upon their own creativity and innovation to see the gospel go forward than they are God in his sovereignty to move upon the hearts of men and women. Paul is concerned about an opportunity for effective evangelism. Brothers and sisters, when is the last time you prayed that kind of prayer? When's the last time you pleaded with God to grant an open door for the word in a relationship with a coworker, acquaintance, a schoolmate, a neighbor, a friend, a family member? When is the last time you pleaded? I'm just saying ask, pleaded with God. God, open up a door of opportunity so that I can speak the word of God into this person's life. We can apply this across the board. When's the last time you prayed that for you? God, open a door of opportunity for me to speak the word into somebody's life. Lord, 
Grant there to be an open door of opportunity for us collectively to be able to speak the word, the gospel, into someone's life. Lord, we could just pray this prayer all on, on and on we can go for missionaries, for churches, for ministries, for, for many things. When was the last time you prayed that the Lord would open up a door of opportunity for the word? And if I could just get a bit personal here, there's a lot of things that I am continually encouraged about here at Redeeming Grace. Many things. See that through many conversations I have. And let me just say, I am humbled to be your pastor and in many ways do not deserve to be your pastor. But if there is one thing that I continually am concerned about, it is this, that we would see more people come to Christ. That we would see more evangelism taking place. That we would see more conversions, more baptism, more people putting their hope in Jesus. I'm thankful that the Lord continues to grow us. I would love to see us grow even more through people coming to faith in Christ. One of the most important things, brothers and sisters, you can do when you pray for our church is to pray a prayer like this. God, would you give Redeeming Grace Baptist Church an open door for the word? And you can begin praying that for you, and your home group, your minister group, and that's us as a church as a whole. Pray that God would grant us more opportunities to advance the word into our community. Pray for an increased evangelistic fervor that would permeate our church culture. Listen, Evangelism is not someone else's job. It is our responsibility. It is our collective joy to join the Lord in being His ambassadors in this community and to the ends of the earth. So let's be praying to that end. So let's move forward together praying that God in his grace and in his sovereignty would open doors of opportunity for us as his people in this location at this point in time to be his ambassador so that we could speak the truth of the gospel into people's lives and that by the power and grace of God we would see lives transformed and this church continue to be filled with those transformed lives all to his glory and praise. Pray for gospel opportunity. Second, or second thing that we should pray for is gospel simplicity. Let me explain that. Gospel simplicity. Notice he says, pray for us that God may open a door for us for the word to do what? To declare the mystery of Christ. To declare the mystery of Christ. Now, he's not saying that we should make Jesus look mysterious. That's not what he's saying. He's using this mystery of Christ language. We've seen it before. The good news that Jesus was coming to save sinners, both Jews and Greeks. But now, it, it, now that Christ had come and now that he had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, it was no longer a mystery. It was now revealed. It was now clear. The gospel was fully known. And so this mystery of Christ language is just shorthand for the gospel. Pray that we would have open door opportunity, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. The content of this word is centered upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
So when we pray for opportunities for the gospel, we need to pray not only for those opportunities, but we need to pray for strength and boldness to be faithful to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And listen, I think what Paul's getting at here is it matters what you proclaim. Matters what you proclaim. It matters what you preach. It matters what you say to people. When we pray for opportunities for the gospel, it matters what you say to them. And the good news is simple. On one hand, it's not complicated. The reality that there is a holy God, He created the universe, created us, He holds us to a holy standard that we would reflect His character and holiness, and yet we know that we don't because of sin. We've rebelled against our Creator, we've been marred by sin totally. In our being, we have inherited guilt, we have inherited corruption, we've been, we've been cast aside because of our rebellion against our Creator, and we deserve His righteous judgment. And yet, God in His mercy and grace sends His only Son into the world to live a life of perfect righteousness, and yet He dies upon the cross in the place of sinners to take upon Himself the judgment we deserve. He died and was raised three days later. To demonstrate his power and victory over sin and death once and for all. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming again. Friends, the promise of the gospel is that if you would forsake your sin and put your hope and trust in Jesus and him alone, that you would have total forgiveness of sins and that you would be welcomed into the kingdom of God forever. That is the gospel. Friend, if you're here today and you've never put your hope in Christ, you've never turned from your sin and put your hope in Jesus, this is the good news for you. That God loved you so much that he was willing to send his only son into this world. If you would just simply look, from, look away from yourself, look away from other things in this world and put your hope in him, rely upon him and what he did, you will be redeemed. You'll be rescued. You'll be adopted. This is the message we proclaim. This is the, this is the message we preach. The simplicity of the gospel. We don't have to complicate it. Let's be clear, which leads me to the third characteristic, that gospel clarity. Gospel opportunity, gospel simplicity, gospel clarity. He not only requests for an opportunity, he wants to be clear when he has that opportunity. You see that there in the text. Pray for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Remember Paul's writing in a day when false teachers were abundant. He wanted simply to be a man who was known for proclaiming the true gospel, the clarity of the gospel. Listen, we can do damage to the gospel when we try to be too culturally relevant or cute. Brothers and sisters, we simply need to be clear. We don't need to be cute or creative, we need to be clear. We need to be clear. There, there's temptations. I, I'm bringing this up because churches and Christians do this regularly. In an effort to try to be cute or, cle- or creative or innovative, they, 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 they com- complicate the gospel. They add things to it or they seek to remove things from it that might be a hindrance. Sometimes... In trying moments, Paul's in prison. We can be tempted to move away from the clear reality and promise of the gospel to preach something else that may not be so clear. 
We're often tempted to remove the offense of the gospel by not focusing so much on sin and judgment. But friends, the clarity of the gospel means that we will be faithful to the entire message of the gospel. So as we pray, we pray for opportunity. We pray for the simplicity of the gospel, that that we would be centered on the faithful work and person of Jesus, and that we would be clear as we're praying, those are the things we should be praying for. Opportunity, simplicity, faithfulness to the true gospel, and clarity. We would not be tempted to try to muddy the waters, that we'd be staying faithful to the truth of who Jesus is. F.B. Meyer once said this about prayer. He said, the great tragedy of the church is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Great tragedy of the church is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Brothers and sisters, what what would that say about your own prayer life? Are you praying in a persistent way, in a watchful way, in a thankful way? And when you pray, are you praying kingdom-sized prayers, gospel-centered kinds of prayers? See, prayer is the instrument God has ordained, an instrument God has ordained to see his purposes accomplished in the world. In your family, among your friends, in this community, in the cities, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, we pray so much. We pray about so many things of much less significance every day. Why would we not pray for something like this? Let's persevere in prayer. Let's pray with a sense of urgency and be thankful. Let's keep our eyes on the goal. And let's pray for opportunities. And then let's pray for grace to speak with simplicity and with clarity in those opportunities. Brothers and sisters, there there are two things that are true if people are going to be redeemed. God must move. And we must share. God must move. And we must share. And so to that end, let's be prayerful. And let's be confident that God hears our prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this exhortation and this reminder, this call to pray. Father, would you forgive me for my own prayerlessness? Would you help me to persevere and persist in prayer knowing that we have the joyful privilege of seeking the one who created the heavens and the earth, who upholds and sustains all things. We get to pray to the one to whom we will all give account, and yet to the one who gave his only son to be our Savior and King. Father, my my prayer, my request even now, is that you would convict us that you would shape us, that you would encourage us to be a praying people, a passionately devoted, dependent people upon you, that you would move mightily in this world. Indeed, Father, that you would move mountains, that you would open doors of opportunity for us to be your ambassadors to speak the word of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, into the world so desperately needs it. Father, would you shape us to that end for your glory, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen.